This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Once again, it's time for the idiots. Welcome back to a bonus episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of idiots. My name is Will, and joining me, as always, is Ray. Hey, what's going on? Not much. You know, just hanging around. Got some time to kill. Mm-hmm. And so Ray and I decided, hey, you know, with this this gift of extra time we have at home, it's a perfect opportunity for us to catch up on some of our 80s favorites that we haven't seen in what, I guess it would be 30 or 40 years now. I can't do the math. Yeah, 35 years. Wow. And so, yeah, any show in the 19, 1985 would be 35 years old. So this is a 35-year-old program we're going to watch today. So, hey, we ran out of stuff to binge that's new. We thought, well, let's binge something from the 1980s and the Misfits of Science is just such a wonderful and amazing show. And I remembered it. I remembered only the feeling of it, that I liked watching it. I remember the characters. I couldn't tell you any of the stories except now that we're watching them. I didn't remember them. Did you remember the show? I don't think I ever watched this show when it was originally on, to be honest with you, because I watched it and I liked it a lot, but I didn't remember anything from it. Yeah. Like I said, uh, yeah. Okay. I probably only remembered slightly more. <laughs> so today's episode, we're going to be talking about the first episode, which was the pilot. It runs a little bit longer than the other uh, regular show. It's, it's closer to an hour and a half in length where the episodes after that were just an hour long. This is episode one called Deep Freeze. It originally aired October 4th, 1985, and here's a summary of it. Uh, Dr. Hayes, doctors Hayes and Lincoln are researchers in, in biological oddities for the Humanidine Company. When they find a man still alive after being frozen for 50 years, their greedy boss fires them and takes the, quote, Iceman to use for military experiments. Left without jobs, Hayes and Lincoln decide to get a group of freaks, or I should say misfits, including a telekinetic 17-year-old girl and a rock guitarist who shoots lightning from his hands. Together, they rescue Iceman and stop their boss's reckless experiments. And we'll get into the more specifics of it, but that's the highlights. This show, if you remember, and if if folks, if you're listening and you don't know, we talked about this in our episode about 1980s television shows that were canceled too soon. Misfits of Silence was one of them. But this show was created by James Perriott, I'm going to say his name, Uh, And James Perriott created a number of shows and was otherwise involved in a number of shows that we love in our childhood. And we talked about this before, so listen to that episode for more. But in brief, he played a role in Bionic Man, Bionic Woman, Incredible Hulk. He created The Voyagers, which was another show gone too quickly. Uh, And he's worked on and created or otherwise created a number of shows since the 80s, but none as interesting as and as memorable as those during our favorite decade. That pretty much sums it up. All right. So in the first in the first few minutes of this, you know, show, it opens and I had a very I thought the vibe of it, because it's, it's, you know, they make it like a like an old horror movie or like an 80s horror movie sort of combined together. You get this vibe of the old vintage horror movies you loved as a kid, you know, the mummy, I guess, or Dracula, Frankenstein. But yeah, it had this contemporary feeling for me very quickly. Like uh, I, I thought of Return of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. That one's a good one. Um, Fright Night, kind of. It's, it's definitely got that vibe. And the Return of the Living Dead for the opening scene uh, had that vibe for me for the opening scene because you had two guys that were, you know, not the brightest of bulbs. In some factory, it looked like. It was a, a warehouse or storage facility or something like that. I don't remember exactly. And they come across, they're trying to investigate what's going on, why the, why the electric power seems to be getting, uh, is, is what, it gets drawn or used so much in this one area. And they come across this, it looks like a frozen crypt or frozen uh, tomb of sorts, right? 
So for me, it was that very Return of the Living Dead. You know, those guys were uh, with the barrels and, you know, mm-hmm. and those two knuckleheads. The uh, the thing I noticed was that uh, the guy who plays Dr. Billy Hayes yep. reminds me of McCarthy from Weekend at Bernie's, like a combination of him and um, Marty McFly. He's got that, that kind of goofy vibe to him. Yeah, and he, he definitely has that sort of 80s, uh, you know, machismo, but uh, he's clever and witty and, yeah, it's sort of uh, a lot of fun-loving characters in the 80s that were, you know, trying to get with the ladies, but also were smart and funny and yeah um in the beginning scene you know of those two guys that were looking for that they were trying to figure out what was going on i immediately recognized the one guy with the mustache whose character's name was gomez i think i've seen him in and if folks if you look him up his name's bert rosario he's he was in like dozens of things from our childhood dozens upon dozens i think he's still acting today too but immediately seeing him it was like taken back to that moment you know those other shows in the 80s were you know, he would be a regular, and he was an AKA Pablo. He was a regular on that show. If you remember that one, I do not. Oh, it's another good one, another short-lived show that that was later in the eighties. Though we'll have to do that on another bonus episode. Oh yeah, the next time we have a pandemic, or, or yeah. as we just learned uh, here where we live, um, school is going to be closed for another month. So you know, we may have more time on our hands. Yay! So the other thing that I thought was great in this very beginning is, you know, again, it feels very eighties. Is the synthesizer score that's playing under it, which sounds very much like a John Carpenter film to me. Yeah, it's got a definite 80s kind of feel to it so it's it's right in its wheelhouse with this one uh this could have been a movie if you had tacked 10 more minutes on you could have went to the theater and saw this thing yeah that's true yeah and it's probably better than a you know than a great number of movies that came out around that time um the, so the two guys finally get the, the they realize something's i don't remember if it's in the crypt still or it's escaped from the crypt oh no it's, it's escaped they find it it's open right i think it's open mm-hmm. and it's not a crypt it, it turns out it's a freezer and and when they turn around uh, they, they, uh, there's a frozen man who looks kind of like a Greek statue, but blue, mm-hmm. screams or groans Amelia at them. And we, we cut away, you know, because they scream in return because they're horrified. It looks like they're, again, it looks like a horror movie. Uh, and we cut from that scene. The gentleman who's playing, you know, this frozen man who, uh, I don't think they, maybe they call him Iceman at some point, some points throughout the show. But yeah, they call him, they call him Beef and they also call him Iceman. Iceman, they do call him Iceman. Okay. Yeah, they call him Beef because I think his character's name is like Arnold Beefinator or Beefinator. Something, yeah, something like that. There's a lot of stuff in this show, by the way, that I feel like uh, could use a better job explaining or saying out loud like like that's a small thing like they were calling him beef and I'm like where did this name beef come from i might have only known it because i read it on like you know wikipedia or something like that but the actor who played him is another actor who we've seen in tons of things throughout the 80s 90s and so on he's a gentleman named mickey jones he often would play a shady character or a bad guy he'd be the guy who'd be like a, a member of a biker gang he plays the mechanic in national lampoons that rips off clark anyway you, you hardly you can't really recognize him under all this blue makeup but uh that's uh, mickey jones so we cut from that scene to a hearse which looks like straight up like the Ecto-1, except it's really being used as a hearse, uh, being escorted by like a CHIPS police escort. And boom, Thomas Dolby, she blinded me with science's playing. Yep, that's a great moment on the show because it gives you, once again, tells you exactly what's going on. You're like, oh yeah, we're about to dance and have some fun now at the lab. In the 80s, yeah. And we know, because we talked about this in the other episode when we briefly mentioned Misfits, their opening music for their show is not Thomas Dolby, but too bad because I, I, hearing that, I was like, that's it. I'm in. I'm in all the way now in this first five minutes. Yeah, when you get to the second episode and they run the end credits, which I know you haven't got to yet, you'll know who does the music for this thing. Mm, yeah, I think I know already, but yes. So we do, uh, like, like Grace said, we get to the lab finally, which is Humanidine. 
It's also referred to as HIT or Human Investigation Team, they call it at some point. We meet the two main stars, uh, Billy Hayes, who um, you mentioned already, who mm-hmm. is played by... Dean Paul Martin. Right, Dean Paul Martin, which name sounds instantly familiar because it sounds a whole lot like Dean Martin because mm-hmm. he's Dean Martin's son. There you go. And you're right. He's got this Marty McFly meets you know Bruce Willis uh, on Moonlighting kind of vibe. He's sort of youthful, but he's also clever and smart. And, you know, again, he's, you know, I think he's hitting on at least three different women throughout the show. Yeah. Every woman, he when he's trying to talk, he just turns his head and looks at them. It's actually kind of a running joke, I think, in the the series. <laughs> what did you say? He turns his head and looks at them. Yeah, when he's when they're walking down the street and oh, stuff. Oh. You, if you watch, if a woman walks by, he'll turn his head as he's talking and look at her, and then turn back around and never misses a beat. <laughs> right. Yes. 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 Right. And his co-star, Doctor Elvin L, as he calls him, Lincoln, is uh, played by Kevin actor Kevin Peter Hall, who we also talked about last time. Who's a gigantic actor because he was literally, you know, seven foot four. I was really impressed that, um, well, I should say that, so we know him, I think people know him best as playing the Predator and playing Harry in Harry in the Hendersons, the movie and the TV, the ultimate TV show. But I was really surprised and impressed that he's also a pretty decent actor in this show. Yeah, he did an excellent job. It's a shame he didn't get any other roles that we remember where he was actually not in a costume. Don't make me do it. Don't make me tell, remind you why. I know why now. <laughs> okay. You, you ruined my day the other day when you brought it up. Right, I'm not going to ruin your day about Dean Paul Martin then either. Mm-hmm. Why we haven't seen him in anything lately <laughs> or since the uh, 80s. Jeez oh. Louise. Okay. I'm not going to do that on this episode. So uh, where are we at in the storyline? Are we up to the part where Iceman, they got him in the lab now? Yeah. So they've got him in the lab and a couple things are interesting to me. One, because it ties to something at the end of the episode that I want to ask you about because I didn't dig into it. I didn't look it up. And I just don't know. I want to see what you think. But I want to mention that one of the early characters we're introduced to as they race into the, they, they race Iceman from the, the hearse that we mentioned into the lab, a team of doctors, including the Dr. Hayes, Billy, Billy and L are surrounded by a bunch of other folks, including their, I guess their administrative assistant or secretary who's dictating all the phone calls they received. And right off the bat, she's mentioning a bunch of different, um, Interesting characters that let us know we live in a world where at least this institute is aware of uh, people with special abilities, much like, uh, you know, in the X-Men. Mm-hmm. So she mentions a boy breathing fire. She mentions, she says something about the invisible man's, you know, upset that you haven't been returning his calls, that sort of thing. I think she also mentions his landlord called him about the rent and stuff like that, too. Y- yes. Yep. It's like a wild combination of mutants and household chores that she takes care of. Yes. And, you know, I, I was pretty impressed with how, I guess, efficient... The show was as far as exposition, uh, driving these the characters, you know, uh, in a short time, like little things like that. You know, he's already maybe got some financial troubles by just that one line. We see how he interacts with women because during this scene when he's looking at Iceman trying to save rescue this frozen man, he's also hitting on one of the staff members there <laughs> yeah. who apparently the date went poorly. We learned throughout the show, too. All of his dates go terribly, all of his first dates. Well, if you're at a restaurant and your head keeps turning, it's uh-huh. not going to go well. Yes. My first date with my wife was like that. Now, I wasn't turning and looking at any women, but later I learned, you know, my, we've been together for 13 years now. But later I learned, shortly after that first date, when we became close, she said, you know, on our first date, I really thought you were flirting with the waitress, you know, and that made me feel uncomfortable. And then we went to a coffee place and I thought you were flirting with the barista. And I'm just very friendly and gregarious and like to crack jokes. I wasn't checking anybody out. Okay, Ray, why are you accusing me? I'm fine. I've been married for (laughs) over 10 years now. 
Nice. So we learn uh, that the Iceman, they have to, they, they decide, you know what, thawing him out is the problem. He's dying. So they stick him in a freezer that they have there and learn that the best thing to do is keep him frozen. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, this guy only says Amelia and he's otherwise, you know, sort of lumbing, lumbering around like uh, Frankenstein's monster, really. Again, it's like a horror movie. Yeah, he's my least favorite character on the show. He just doesn't add a whole lot in my opinion, so... But I love the rest of the characters. Yeah, and we're going to meet them in just a minute or two here in the show because we cut to, you know, your classic military uh, boardroom internal operations, some sort of committee with a bunch of guys sitting around with a bunch of bars on their shoulders and, you know, awards on their uh, uniforms. And they're discussing a, a new weapon that they're that they're developing or maybe they've de- that they've developed i guess right yeah they had ar- they were not supposed to have built it but they had already built the neutron beam cannon but they were uh, talking about building it in the public but they had already done it so that's that's what they're doing in the boardroom there in the secret government lair right and you know I, I guess that becomes clear as you watch the show but you're right and that's the that's like the main plot point is that they're not supposed to have developed what they call a neutron beam but they've mentioned they want to develop it, and people already up in arms don't do that. It's going to be, you know, world-changing if you have that kind of power. And again, you got to remember, like we talked in the Apocalyptic Movies episode, uh, one of our, you know, full episodes just a few days ago, that uh, during the 80s, we really thought we could be nuclear-bombed at any moment. So there was a great fear of these types of weapons at the time. And in this world of this show, it was like that, too, only they're, they're talking about the neutron beam. Yeah, and you and you knew definitely that the government was the bad guys and that the misfits were the good guys. That's a definite thing about the 80s is the clear definition of who's the good guys and who's the bad guys. So the show did a good job with that with the first episode. Yeah, and it's like yeah, like war games, it's the same same kind of setup. You know, you got your young young people against your government uh, machine, I guess. Yeah. And in, in this boardroom, we've got a couple of stars, actually three stars that you spot right away. Two of them are main characters in this episode, Kenneth Mars plays a senator and Kenneth Mars again tons of things going back 60s 70s um, I remember him most fondly in uh, Mel Brooks's The Producers the original one uh, where he plays the uh, German uh, Nazi who writes the play Springtime for Hitler um, and also also and so he plays a senator and Larry Linville who was Frank Burns on MASH until about 1977 or so plays the general, General Thiel, who's the you know, big bad guy throughout the episode. And if in a blink, if you miss it, ep, uh, sort of moment, Leslie Easterbrook, who is, uh, oh, I don't remember her character name. She's uh, in Police Academy. She plays uh, a secretary, and she's only got a couple short moments. I guess this is before Police uh, Academy, is she, right? Is she the one who does the, the thing at the end of the show with the bunnies? She does come back with the bunnies. At the very end of the show, she comes back and says something about the bunnies at the very end. Hmm. No, or is that their secretary that I want? Oh, that no, that, no, yeah, that's the secretary. Never mind. No, she she just comes in and says, uh, "Oh, she's tell, she comes in and says, hey, Doctor Hayes is here," and then she leaves. So I don't know if this is when did, you just did a post about Police Academy too. When did Police Academy come out? Was that eighty five? I want to say eighty two, but I could be off by eight or ten years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give or take give or take a decade i see it did come out in 84 so the odds are she probably made these around the same time so the fact that she was um you know had this small uh, role is probably not a surprise um so she plays uh sergeant callahan who's the one who trains them um how to fight if you remember that scene in police academy uh in any case in any case no stop <laughs> So we got this military meeting. We learned about this new neutron beam. Cut back to the lab. The frozen guy, Iceman, is now trashing the lab, and it turns out he can freeze anything he touches. 
Yep. We learned that he has been frozen since 1938, so 50 years, or roughly 50 years at the time the show is set. And they suspect that by him saying Amelia over and over again, he's actually looking for Amelia Earhart. Yeah. Not a big fan of that storyline, but... Did he know. know her? Was he supposed to know her, or he just knew in the news she went missing? I, I have, I don't know. From the way they say it, it's like that's his girlfriend or something, but they never really explained that part. Yeah, yes. And speaking of never explained it, and there's a few things like that, what's the deal with the candy bars? They give him a candy bar, and it knocks him unconscious. But for some reason, they know to give it to him. Uh, is he a diabetic or hypoglycemic or hyperglycemic? <laughs> That's how they stop him from rampaging. They give him a candy bar, a chocolate bar. I have no idea how that works. I think this is one of those quirky things where somebody was in the back sitting at a table smoking weed and he went, <laughs> you know, it'd be a great part to this show. If we could just stuff candy bars down a frozen guy's mouth, maybe get a sponsorship. But I don't, I don't even think they got like a Butterfinger sponsorship or nothing out of it. So in your story, I think the guy had the munchies when he wrote it. <laughs> I guess. Give me a candy bar. I need a candy bar. Oh, wait a second. So the military folks arrive, are in this scene, and they see the, the Iceman going crazy, and he, he's freezing things with his touch, and he's tearing, you know, things, uh, you know, uh, measurements and what, can't, what, different, what are they, I, I'm losing words. What are the words he's, in the lab when you he, have? Beakers and stuff like that. Yes, you know? yes. The scientific uh, equipment. Yeah, uh, cantilevers and, uh, <laughs> and Bunsen burners. Yes. <laughs> Jacob's ladders and all that stuff's getting tore down. Oh, Jacob's ladder. Yeah, it's true sci-fi horror stuff yeah and so the military of course like in any of these films they say hey your, your project's done we're going to take this ice man because they have these thoughts of maybe they can use him you know as a militarize him as a, as a weapon or something you know because he's got these abilities um, so they take him off and at the same time they also shut down humanidine so they fire dr hayes and dr l Shortly after this now, it's funny, we see them playing basketball and one little brief thing that winds up being a setup for later is Dr. Hayes, who's, you know, probably a guy under six feet tall, is trying to teach L, who's, like I said, seven four, how to play basketball. And there's other people playing basketball already there. And they assume since he's a giant, he's probably good. So they invite him to play. And he's like, no, I, I'm, I'm good right now. I'm, I'm just, you know, hanging out with my friend. But uh, Hayes is trying to teach him how to pass, I think, first, right? Because I think that that plays into it later on. And he can't yeah. get it. He's not doing a good job. Yeah, he's not good at basketball at all. And and that's a cool setup. I like the uh, I like the character development on this show. They they really do a good job of making you like the characters. Yes. So I did like that. It's it's quick and easy for them to do because it didn't take very long for them to humanize the characters, especially like L. That was easy. And because he did such a good job acting in this, you bought into it. Yeah, and it's at this moment, after playing basketball, he shares with Billy Hayes that through through one of their experiments, he himself has gained the ability to shrink uh, to about 11 inches tall. And he explains, and again, I I agree with you 100%, he explains the reason he was even doing that experiment was is because he doesn't want to be tall because how he stands out, because of how people treat him differently, like these folks assuming he knows basketball. And so... You know, he wound up having this power to be able to do this. Uh, we learned that uh, he can only do it once an hour. It works for about 14 minutes. And he carries around a set of Ken, Ken doll clothes <laughs> to wear when he shrinks because otherwise he's naked. Yep. <laughs> so cut back to now we learn we learn about Dr. Momquist, who they call mom or Dr. Mom throughout the show. He sees the military is watching footage of the neutron beam and realizes you that they really created what they said they were just wanted to create. So it really exists. And because they see him, see them, they got to kidnap Dr. Mom. So they kidnap him. 
And they say that now they've got a candidate they can test with the frozen man, which I'm not sure what that meant they were going to do. And later on, they've got them hooked up to different things. And no one, I don't really know what they were doing. Well, in the eighties, when you have shady government people, you know, they're up to no good. So you just really had to have the two of them in the same room screaming like idiots, you know, one screaming Amelia and the other just screaming in pain. But uh, yeah, I mean, super easy. Uh, Run experiments on them. Boom. We're done with this scene. Uh, But what Dr. Mom, so in the lab, we ultimately see him again. He's like, she's like, he's drugged up. He's got, you know, different uh, testing equipment attached to him and sort of a, you know, almost semi kinetonic state. He struggles out of this, uh, you know, semi unconscious sort of ness that he's in and makes a phone call using a real phone. He had to dial it or press buttons. Not like today. Yeah. He actually knew the number. (laughs) He had to know the number. Right. And it wasn't even like he was calling the office. He was calling Billy at home, I think. Right. And so he calls Dr. Hayes, Billy, at home, and, and he's not able to, he's, he wants to tell him what he learned, but he's only able to get out a few words. He says, I think, Neutron, Strickland, and Military Lab. Uh, and so Billy is able to, from that to figure out enough, enough that he was kidnapped. It's like one of those kind of jokes. Wait a second. It's like Lassie, you know, with Timmy's mm-hmm. stuck in the well. I just figured this out. Dr. Mom's been kidnapped. They created the Neutron beam and then Strickland's behind it all. So he, Billy winds up talking L into a rescue mission, but they quickly decide the two of them against the military is, you know, the odds are stacked against them. So they need help. So they, they recall some of the folks that they've helped in the past, which include a bunch of misfits. So the one folk, the first person they go to, and again, I like how they allude to these kinds of things a little bit ahead of time talking about, you know, have you ever worked it out with him? Did he ever forgive you? Can we go and see him? Is he going to try to kill us? They go to recruit Johnny B. Bukowski, uh, who's played by Mark Thomas Miller. I didn't see that he did anything else that we would remember of any uh, significance, I guess. For us, anyway. To him, I'm sure everything else he did was huge, too. Uh, Very quickly, he tries to get rid of them off of his property by firing a bolt of electricity right at them. If he hit them, they would be dead, right? Oh, yeah. I don't know if he was trying to miss. It was a warning shot or he's just terrible, terrible aim. Uh, No, no. They helped him learn how to aim it, remember? So he probably was trying to kill them. He was? (laughs) I think so. Yeah, it did come really close. And I think maybe they just leapt out of the way or ducked. He has this interesting way of doing it. Unlike most films you see where these folks have powers, he actually has to fold his hands, kind of like when you're in school and you're told, fold your hands on your desk. That's how he shoots out the bolt. Yeah, it's actually a really cool effect, too, because when he folds his hands together, then you see the blue charge up, which is really cool because then you know it's coming. It's kind of like a buildup. I like that. Yeah. He could just point his finger like a gun and go pew, pew, but they did a good job with the buildup. And he has, it turns out he also has super speed. Um, but he gets exhausted when he uses his powers and has to recharge, as they say. And I think, you know, this is like we've talked about on many episodes, certainly early on, because of our love of the 50s and the 80s, this character loves Chuck Berry, mm-hmm. calls himself uh, Johnny B. He'll, he sings the song more than once in the in the show uh, while he's sort of, you know, it's kind of like an Iron Eagle listening to the, the music that gets you sort of charged up to fight. He's, it's, it's a Chuck Berry for him. And he looks like a 50s, you know, biker or gangster. You know, he's got a leather jacket. I think he's probably just how you dressed in the 80s, too. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, he's got that pegged jeans, uh, black leather jacket. He has kind of a pompadour hair, I guess. So again, a lot of the, wow, a lot of the 80s stuff, yeah, we've said it before, it's 50s. Uh, yeah, there's a big 50s influence on the, the 80s style. And speaking of you, I think I mentioned this before, if you were ever to be a superhero, he got powers just how you would. He got electrocuted at a rock concert. <laughs> that, could, that could happen. We've all been slightly electrocuted, but not to that point where we got superpowers. So they, they pitch him on the idea of being a hero, doing something with his life. 
he, he ultimately, after some, you know, convincing, he, he decides to go with them. We cut to a flashback of Gloria Glow Danello, who's played by Courtney Cox. Now, I don't, I don't know what became of this other actress. Well, she, she actually was in uh, Family Ties. She was also in that video from, uh, by Bruce Springsteen. I see big yes. things in her future, maybe, if she stuck, stick it out. Yeah, it, yeah, if she sticks with acting, she might actually make something of herself. But she was great in the 80s. I'm not sure what happened to her. But she has telekinetic powers, and in this flashback, where she's, she, it looks like she's sitting maybe in a fitting room at a mall or something, and the mall's getting trashed. And the way they show her powers, this telekinetic power, is kind of like a carry, I thought of, right? They kind of inverse the image. It goes like, uh, you know, they reverse the color, or inverse the colors. Yeah, once again, they did a fantastic job with how her powers, when they come out, that whole reversing the picture thing is really cool, and then you know something's about to happen. Yep. They, they were really good at that on this show. And we learn, you know, shortly after this uh, flashback that she is now, and I think it's because Alan Hayes are talking about her and recruiting her as another person on their team to go save Dr. Mom. They they talk, they talk discuss how she's now, I uh, believe that she's now locked in a mental ward. And they also make some reference to Hayes having some run-in with her probation officer. Oh, that he, he's attracted to her, or maybe uh, that he went on a date with her. Um, and maybe had, just like the earlier woman we saw him with, had ruined it on the first date. I think it was something like that, right? Yeah, and he also hints that Gloria's father is supposedly an alien, according to her mother. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of misfits in this world that they set up. Yeah, I forgot about that entirely, yeah. It's uh, so subtle. It's one sentence in the car on the way to get her, yeah. but it sets up the backstory so well. Right. So they track her down. They say she's in a mental ward, but I think she, it really turns out she's in jail, right? I mean, she's locked in a jail cell, I think. Well, I think that's because she was doing something similar with that flashback thing. I don't know if that was a flashback or if it actually happened or what was going on or if she was in trouble somehow. So Yeah, they do refer to it later. She talks about um, having destroyed them all and how kids in mm-hmm. high school were thought it was cool and uh jane the probation officer yep. uh reminds me a lot of marky post yeah i could see that sure so yeah they go and meet uh jane the probation officer who's played by jennifer holmes and they again we get very learn very quickly they went hayes and uh jane went on a date and they've got some tension there there's some static but he winds up convincing her and her uh i, I don't know who that guy is is he like the warden I have not. Once again, he's a bad guy. Yeah, it's a little vague, but there's a guy in charge of the institute, maybe the mental institution where she's at. So they have to agree to let her go. And so he's able to, I don't think he, he doesn't tell them the truth, maybe. I don't remember. I think he tells Gloria, <laughs> uh, he tells Jane the truth and maybe Gloria the truth about what they want to go rescue Dr. Mom. And one thing that mystifies me the whole rest of the episode is why the probation officer decides to go along with this clearly illegal thing. Well, because Dr. Billy Hayes is a very convincing and like guy. And in the 80s, that's all it took to get people to do stuff you wanted them to do. And frozen candy bars. <laughs> yeah, and candy bars, yeah. He's roofing. He uses like roofies. Whoever he slips a candy bar to falls unconscious. All right, I just made the show really dark. As usual. Well, I didn't, still didn't mention what happened uh, to Dean Paul Martin. And I won't. So on their way to Humanodyne, uh, you know, <laughs> while, they're, while uh, Billy Hayes is trying to convince, I think, Gloria to go along and all that, we have this moment, a brief moment where Gloria and Johnny are on the beach and Johnny makes a reference that he can't get wet because his weakness is water. And uh, mm-hmm. I think an L confirms this. He'll short out. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be curious what happens. Does he die? Well, if you remember, um, it got on his foot and he started to get all bubbly. Oh, oh yeah. Right, so right. I'm assuming he just gets all bubbly and crappy looking and doesn't look like Johnny B the <laughs> rock star anymore. And he's really screwed. 
So did you get the sense that they were flirting on the beach and that he was flirting? It was mutual flirting? It seemed more like you and the waitress from your story. Mm. See, I didn't get that. Now, look, I'm... It seemed more like he was just being him. Okay. And she was flirting. And then he realized, hey, this ain't good. Yeah. So, yeah, la- otherwise, otherwise, you got a weird situation going on there. Yeah. And later on, we learned more about that. But at the moment when I watched, I thought, yeah, they're, maybe they're going to be a couple. I, I don't know. And I, I, and I was thinking, geez, they're, they're sort of pairing off a lot of people already. I don't like when they do that on shows. It's not necessary. They could just, you know, men and women can work together. They don't have to date also. So, okay. So everyone's convinced to go on this mission. They get an ice cream truck somewhere. Maybe they have it already, but they, they they need it. They decide because they, if they, when they rescue Iceman, they need the place to put him to keep him, you know, at uh, uh, 32 or less. Otherwise he'll melt. So when they arrive at Humanidine, they get out of the truck and they're all wearing misfits, t-shirts, misfits of science, t-shirts. Obviously, if you're going to break into a government facility, you need to have matching outfits with your group name on it. So the military knows who to arrest. <laughs> Correct. I mean, if we just talked about uh, Rocksteady crew, if they were going to go and break dance in front of the place, they'd have their gear. That's true. But if they were to break into a military establishment, they're probably clever enough to uh, leave the Pumas and the Gazelles at home. Not these guys. Not in the 80s. And 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 was it Dr. Hayes uh, or Johnny B says, you know, I feel ridiculous wearing this shirt. This is dopey. I think, I think he's the one that says it. And Hayes says... We're a team now, so we have to look like a team. Excellent words. So all of them go along, including including the probation officer. Their first uh, challenge of getting in is the door is locked. And Johnny makes, uh, you know, quick with this by blasting it with electricity. Yeah. Once again, you get the cool effect. You get uh, now the military is aware they're there. Yeah. Alarms start ringing and the water starts raining down mm-hmm. inside because I guess it was a... You know, because uh, the fire alarm goes off. Yep. Because of the uh, lightning. And so now, now Johnny's out. He can't go in because of the, the water's issue. He's got he's to stay at the ice cream truck and wait. Courtney, so this is pretty cool. Getting into this, you know, during this rescue mission, they each get to use their powers. Courtney Cox uses her carry-like abilities to toss around some soldiers who come, you know, racing out to stop them. Uh, L has to shrink down to go, uh, I guess, through uh, like a door uh, transom to get down and unlock the door. They lower mm-hmm. him with some yarn. Ultimately, they rescue Dr. Mom and Iceman from the lab. Uh, they keep him in a special suit to keep him frozen, to keep his temperature, you know, 32 and under. And again, now they lure him from the lab using candy bars. Now, why would he want a candy bar if it's going to make him unconscious? I don't understand this. I don't know. It makes no sense, but it worked. Good enough. All right. So outside, um, <laughs> the soldiers are closing in on them because they, you know, they were, like you said, they were alerted to their presence. So Johnny B starts singing Johnny Be Good. And I think they actually played the song along with him singing it. And he's dancing like Elvis, uh, jumping around, charging up and shooting lightning bolts at the soldiers, the approaching soldiers. Once again, a great scene. And as you know, they jump in the, the ice cream truck right after this and elude military operations firing at them in an ice cream truck as they drive away. <laughs> and they just escape. Yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah. Cut to people protesting around the world where, because, you know, you see Paris and other countries. Because people are upset that the, that, the, that the United States is building this neutron beam, which everybody knows, we know, the viewers know, they already built it, they're just keeping it a secret. To try to calm everyone's fears, the military says, hey, don't worry, when we build this beam, which we already really built, it's going to be in a secure bunker. No one's going to be able to get it, it won't fall into the wrong hands. Everybody calm down. And to prove that this uh, beam is going to be protected, and again, safe, therefore safe, 
We're having every branch of the military come and try to break into this bunker. Yeah, and they can't get in, but you know who can get in? I have no idea. The misfits of science. Oh, yeah, right. Of course. So the misfits get this idea that, hey, you know, the Marines can't get in, the Army can't get in, Navy can't get in. If we can get in, we could do a couple things. One, we'll show that it's not really secure. And two, we'll show the world that the neutron beam already exists because we'll reveal it. And then everybody around the world watching on the news will see it. Absolutely correct. And then the plot of this, you know, evil military, the United States military, will be revealed. Oh, and I should also mention that the senator, played by um, Kenneth Mars, he wants to pay this company uh, with, you know, he wants to help the military buy this neutron beam that's being developed by this company. He doesn't know it exists. He, again, he, even he, the Senator thinks it's just, you know, something that's in a development and that plays into it right here towards the end here. So the misfits, this, the, you know, the misfits race to the bunker to break in and reveal it to the, the whole world. But they pause at a gas station because they got to get, I guess they got to get gas. Oh, they have to get, they have to do a few things. They have to get Lincoln some clothes. Mm-hmm. They had to put Iceman in a freezer at the refrigerator at the gas station. Yep. He was getting a little warmed up. And a gas attendant comes across him too and is like, doesn't know what to make of it. <laughs> and he has to buy a giant box of chocolate bars. Again with the chocolate bars. Yep. The chocolate bars is like the main theme of this whole show. I just, hmm, it's just confounding to me. But, you know, they use them to lure Iceman around and they use it to knock him out. I, I don't know. Whatever. It would be like, it would be like in the A-team if they lured uh, B.A. around with a syringe. And then when he came up to get the syringe, they injected him and it knocked him out, you know, and then they could take him on a plane or whatever. It's that idea. But but Brie would not follow the syringe around. He would knock Murdoch out or face or whoever had it. Well, maybe they should have went with Colt 45. Colt 45. Because it works every time. Oh, <laughs> I thought because you want a bull to come breaking through the wall or something like that. <laughs> no. Knock out the Iceman. Okay. Yeah. And while they're paused at this gas station, they come up with this plan that if they bring it to the bunker... They'll prove themselves to the world that they're not bad guys, they're good guys, and again, they'll reveal the beam and therefore reveal the true bad guys, this military, you know, organization, this United States military uh, senator, maybe this, you know, this general, that are having this plot to develop this beam that nobody else wants. Hayes uh, admits to the um, probation officer, Jane, that, you know, doing this makes him feel better about himself. You know, he, f- he feels like he has a a purpose in life now where he was sort of just sort of going through the motions, even at working at Humanodyne. And now this gives him some kind of, you know, um, direction, you know, he feels, and as a result, his esteem is better. And he winds up, you know, they wind up having a heart to heart, even talking about their first date. And he apologizes for being a jerk and she forgives him and they make their amends. Meanwhile, you know, and referring back now to what I was asking about earlier, Johnny B and Gloria, Again, I thought they were flirting, or I thought John, and I thought it was mutual, but it's at this moment where Johnny B rejects Gloria when she says, hey, you know, she makes these advances towards them. You, you, you know, I thought you liked me and all these things. And he says to her, I think the worst thing you could probably say to someone that's into you, you're like a sister to me. Well, she is only 17, so. I think she says either she, I'm now, I am 18 now, or I'm going to be 18, which again, even having that conversation makes it weird. That makes him the best superhero of all the superheroes. Because he said, you're like a sister to me. Yeah, because he did the right thing. Yes. And then he commenced to shoot laser beam energy at government officials. (laughs) So um, while they're at the gas station, uh, you know, they buy, they buy all this stuff and the clerk acts, has a bunch of questions for Dr. Hayes here. Like, you know, what are you doing with these clothes? They're way too big for you. You want a whole box of 24 bars of chocolate? Yes, yes, I do. Okay, that's fine. When they leave though, and they drive off an ice cream truck, she calls 911 and says, you know, that this got this, uh, uh, 
spotted the misfits because they're all over the news now. People are looking for them because they just, you know, rescued Dr. Mom and the Iceman. Um, so they're, they're out. Uh, there's an APB out for them. Right. And probably a big reward on top of it. Right. And now in the, in the world, you know, so, so far as they know right now, they see they don't know what to make of these folks with these superpowers. They're being made out to be bad guys on the news, of course. They're referred to as a subversive organization. But yes, but everybody who's jumping around around the world, you know, like the cutscene we we're just talking about, is rooting for them at this point. Right, yes, because they get word somehow. I, I guess the, the story gets out that they're headed towards this bunker to break in. Yeah, they're super secret about the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there's a woman on the news at the bunker who's, you know, shooting. You know, she's at the bottom of the, this, they call it, keep calling it a mesa. You know, it's like this plateau. Uh, well, the bunker's at the top of it, I guess. So the bunker, no, the bunker's in the side of it, but there's also something at the top which p- comes into play. And they're at the bottom of it. And I always, I was, you know, again, a thing, another thing that confounded me was somehow this news reporter could see everything that's going on, like at the top of the mesa, on the mm-hmm. bunker, in the bunker. You know, she'd be reporting it. Oh, we could see the misfits are now. No, you can't. You're at the bottom of a mountain and they're inside of the mountain. It must be coming back from the helicopter to her. Yes, yes, we'll say that. So they race off. You know, so, so Glory's really mad at Johnny B now because she's, you know, she says that you were just using me, you tricked me, you lied to me, you're just like everybody else. People at high school, sure, they say they like me, but they really talk bad about me, you know, they locked me in a way in a mental institution, all these things. So she's, she's got to work through these other issues, but you're right, Johnny B's being a stand-up guy. In any case, they race off, they leave Dr. Mom behind because, you know, as far as on the news... They, they, they may have kidnapped the doctor, even though they were rescuing the doctor. The two police cruisers uh, that are in pursuit now just pass up uh, the um, miss. I'm uh, sorry, pass up Doctor Mum. Race after the misfits. Eventually, they all now arrive at the uh, bunker. Of course, the newswoman spots them. Hey, look! It's the misfits coming in an ice cream truck. How does she know it's them? She just sees an ice. Why isn't? Hey, there's a delivery of ice of good humor coming. This is fantastic. No. As far as stealth goes, these guys are the worst at stealth. I mean, they literally, the entire world knows what they're up to. So stealth is not a priority for them until they actually want it to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only worst thing they could do is play the ice cream theme, you know, ice cream. It was just as bad. Which, which would be hilarious if in a future episode they did that and then they snuck out the side and went into something. I, I hope that happens. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. We talked about this. Uh, when we first, first talked about them episodes ago that an ice cream, truck, ice cream truck is either the coolest way to drive around or maybe the worst disguise because kids will be chasing after you. Mm-hmm. So Johnny fires lightning bolts at the police cars that are chasing him, disabling them, hopefully not murdering the you know occupants. But if it's like the A-team, nobody ever dies. Um, and they walk right into the bunker. I mean, they just walk right into it. Well, yeah, the door was left open. Yeah, right. Because all the other militaries that were trying to get past the security system, which we now learn is, they were told is a water barrier. Don't know what that means yet. We're just told it's a water barrier. Yeah, they're completely content with the water barrier. So they just leave the door open. And Mr. And Dr. Mr. Mom, <laughs> I'm talking about another agent. Mr. Mom. Dr. Mom, he actually tells them, don't worry about it. You can get through it. I'm, I'm confident. They finally get to these door, these inside the bunker, and these doors open, revealing the water barrier. That's the security system, and it's a giant swirling vertex, vortex, right? Just like a tunnel of water, uh, you know. And, it's, and unlike a water in the in the ocean, which would be, I guess, a vertical vortex, this is a horizontal wall of swirling water. Yes, and of course, the guy who can only yell Amelia, yeah, is the only one who can do anything about this thing, right? Although they're worried that if he does tr- tr- try to freeze the water, it will probably kill him. 
because, you know, he's already been out and about and he's, his temperature's heating up. And so any energy he has left may be ex, ex, expended and, and then cause the death of beefy, of beef. However, in, in the middle of, you know, uh, a gun battle here with the soldiers trying to capture the misfits, Gloria still mopey, beef, but while everyone's arguing about what to do, slips off his hand out of his, you know, his frozen, special frozen suit and touches mm-hmm. the water barrier, which freezes into now a tunnel of ice and he falls unconscious. Um, the misfits now are able to enter the tunnel. On the other side of the tunnel, again, we run into some more uh, soldiers and, and uh, that are now blocking them from getting to the neutron beam, which they, uh, someone tells them if they, pr- I think, was it L? L must tell them. Somebody tells them. I think it's L. If you press a button, that will raise the beam to the roof, which they think, hey, if it gets to the roof, the whole world will see it. So that'll be great. So they come up with a plan. Johnny B will use his super speed because that's all he's got left in him now because he's, he's got no more energy for the lightning. And he'll race over and just press the button. No problem. As he's doing it, though, he gets shot by a bullet or at least grazed. It takes him down. And now Gloria, who, you know, is still trying to get over Johnny B, races out to his defense and using her carry like abilities, sends the soldiers that are attacking again, flying back, you know, again, hopefully not murdering anybody, but just sends them flying back. And she has now over and forgives Johnny B and says something like, you know, hey, he says, thank you for saving me. And she says, we're family, you know, so. Within mm-hmm. just a few minutes now, she's over. Well, it is an 80 sitcom, so. Yeah, and they've only got, an, what, an hour and a half to get this thing wrapped up, I guess. Right. So the, the beam rises up to the roof, where now the general is ready with a helicopter to to grab it, to, to nab it, load it on the helicopter, and, you know, fly off with it before anybody in the world can see it. Of course, the news lady, who's got eagle-eyed vision at the bottom of the mountain, can see what's going on. Hey, there's a helicopter up there, and it looks like they're loading the beam, a beam of some kind, into a helicopter. The senator, of course, who's been dumb all this time, says, oh my God, they built it. Now he's, you know, upset because, again, this was all theoretical, and now it really exists. Helicopter flies off. Turns out Larry Linville's losing his mind, because as the misfits race out to try to stop him from flying off with the beam, he starts firing the beam at them. Well, yeah, because if you can make a mountain disappear, then you can make the misfits of science disappear. Yes, and now he's content with, you know, murdering some young people and some doctors who just, you know, a day ago were working, you know, for the government. So the misfits use whatever little powers they have left. They come up with this plan. I'm really not sure I understood it, but it was, you know, Glory barely has any energy left. Johnny B barely has energy left. So... Billy says to them, you're going to have to work together. I don't, how do you have a telekinetic work together with someone who shoots lightning? Um, not real sure, but it's, it, it, the show, the, the pilot ended with, uh, it working. So yeah, I think she directed his lightning bolt maybe. Uh, so they disable the helicopter momentarily. Uh, it rises back up, um, fires again. Now it makes, you know, uh, part, part of the mountain disappear and everybody now, you know, they're done. The military's done with this weapon. It's been revealed to exist. It's been revealed to be extremely dangerous. Uh, and the misfits have one last chance at now again, keeping themselves from becoming the next victim of this neutron beam, but they don't have energy, any energy left now, but they find a helmet that was left behind, uh, you know, from the folks fleeing onto the helicopter, the general left his helmet there and L grabs the helmet, and of course, what does Billy say to him? Pass it to me, because he's he's you know, mm-hmm. L. Can you? Did he learn how to pass a basketball? So it turns out that earlier scene was really important. Yeah, that one time he threw a basketball. Yeah, it's coming in handy at this moment. So he does a great pass to Hayes. Hayes, who's got some basketball skills for a shorter guy, 
shoots it up at the propeller. It hits the propeller, which I thought it was going to make the helicopter blow up in 80s style, but no, it just kind of makes it lose control a little bit. And while the the uh, general is trying to shoot at the misfits, instead he winds up firing the beam inside the helicopter, which just obliterates, you know, just vaporizes the helicopter and the uh, the people inside. Right, and that's a perfect ending to that episode. Yep. Except for you have to have Billy and Jane right kiss. Of course, yes. Because now they're back on again. Yep. Yeah, the whole world witnesses this. They're all cheering, and in the excitement, Billy and Jane kiss. And I thought it was funny. Um, Billy and L try to high five, and as they're jumping in the <laughs> yeah. air, but L is, you know, again, he's a good foot, at least maybe two feet taller, a foot and a half taller. Just way over, and I think it is one of those 80s things where it freezes up there, where they're high up, mm-hmm. you know, not, not connected yeah. hands. And that's how it ends, except there's sort of a tag. I don't think it's, it's not after credits. It's after that moment is frozen for a little bit. And this is what I wanted to ask you about. The very last thing we see is like you were saying earlier, the secretary dealing with something. Was it rabbits or something you thought? Yeah, I think she uh, she puts away the notebooks that she's working on. And then she gets up and walks away and says, uh, good night to the rabbit, to the bunnies. <laughs> It says goodnight to the bunnies, I think. I don't understand what that was about, because I feel like we were supposed to learn something, and they pan down, and I don't know if we're supposed to see something on the floor that's in front of her, or maybe it's rabbits in a cage, but what I noticed stood out to me was down the back of her legs, you know, which should be like the seam for her, let's say, stockings or, you know, that she Mm -hmm. might be wearing, it seems really dark, as if I thought maybe they were suggesting that maybe she had powers, or maybe she's not real, Maybe she's an android or something. I'm hoping that in upcoming episodes, it's revealed as to why it's important. I hope it's a long running thing. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this goes or where it goes. All right. So, and hey, that was episode one, Deep Freeze of Misfits of Science. So uh, we'll be on to episode two next time. And uh, until then, I guess uh, we'll talk to you again next time on The Idiots. See ya. See ya.